Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback from the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. All right, hello everyone. My name is Keith. Welcome to Finsider Radio. Uh, we're going to do tonight's show for about an hour and a half, so we're on until about 9.30 Eastern time. Uh, at some point tonight, we'll uh, be joined by special guest uh, Ron Caniff. You uh, know him from the Unsquish the Fish podcast. He's become a pretty good friend of mine. So um, we'll go ahead and bring him in. I think he'll call in sometime around 9 Eastern, uh, I believe. So at some point, we'll be joined by him. Right now, I'm joined by my uh, my faithful co-host i'm flanked by my loyal co-host lewis what's going on not much are you happy about the andre branch signing Uh, we'll talk about it later i'm sure Ah, i'm stoked i'm not gonna lie i think that uh i saw i think the the contract terms are is it what one year three million fully guaranteed Something like that. Yeah, well, that's what I that's what I saw. I mean, that's a pretty good bargain. I think Shelby got more from Atlanta. And the whole talk about Vance Joseph wanted these these pass rushers who closely resembled the guys in Cincinnati, these longer, more angular pass rushers. Uh, that's starting to, in a way, come to fruition. Mario Williams, not so. I mean, that guy's a that guy is a a brick house. But uh, Andre Branch definitely fits that that role. I mean, he's a longer guy. When he, he was coming out of Clemson, I think he weighed somewhere in like the 240s, like low 250s. I think he's around 260 some now. So in a lot of ways, he's kind of built the way we wanted Deion Jordan. Uh, so well, I, I like it. There's some apparently there's some. Uh, I, there was a it was Andrew Abramson who tweeted out this um, Big Cat Country Jaguars perspective on who Andre Branch was and they weren't they weren't all that sad to see him go. He's apparently a pass rusher who's not very good at being a pass rusher. I think the best description I can give based on what I read was that he is Olivier Vernon. He has to have somebody else clean things up for him so he can get his sacks. At three million for one year, I'll take it. I'll absolutely take it. Plus chances are he's gonna get work in the wide nine. So uh, maybe something similar to uh, the Leo stuff that Jacksonville runs. <clears throat> Either way, I kind of like the rotation that Miami's starting to put together here because now you've got Mario Williams, you've got Ari Branch, uh, we're assuming Cameron Wake. Um, so 
just uh, just looking at what we have thus far, not too shabby. And as you mentioned, I mean, it's a bargain when you look at what the Falcons gave Derek Shelby. Uh, one thing, because we kind of have just a, a touch-and-go show going tonight. I've got a ton of stuff going on, so I didn't really have a lot of time to put together a proper script for this evening's podcast. So really what we're looking to do is get some calls early on before we hear from Ron with Unsquish the Fish. So if you want to go ahead and give us a call, you want to complain about the C.J. Anderson match, which uh, it's hard to believe that anyone would have any more to complain about that after yesterday's uh, Dolphins Twitter just absolute firestorm. The dumpster was was nice and hot. You you knew what? I knew Elway was just trolling us. It was like we're gonna, we're, he was gonna make us wait just long enough. It's like okay, now is the perfect time, and he was gonna match it. I knew, I knew that Elway was just waiting. Elway plays everybody he he, he messes with. Well, he also had to pony up on that contract, so he, he doesn't walk obviously, away scot free. Obviously, they think he's worth it. Well, that's that's fine, but uh, all these people talking about how. John Elway is the maestro and, and, you know, Miami just pretty much crumbled in his wake. Understand that this team doesn't have a quarterback. That guy's got a lot of issues going on right now. So yeah, congratulations. You brought back CJ Anderson. That's great. Watch him and watch him find a way to trade up and get one of the quarterbacks. Just watch. I'm calling. Okay. Well, you're, you're trading up for, for a quarterback. What into the top 10? I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they will probably he'll probably pick somewhere along the lines of Paxton Lynch or something. I I think a lot of people are calling that right now. So that I mean that wouldn't surprise me. But I mean that team's got got some serious issues. They lost Malik Jackson to Jacksonville. <clears throat> Malik Jackson was a huge part of that front on that it really you know incredible defense that had that juggernaut run toward the end of the season. Uh, so. If you guys want to call and you want to complain about that, you want to you want to talk about Andre Branch, you want to talk about the signings that this team has made, the signings they haven't made. I know a lot of people for some reason wanted Sean. You know, I understand the Sean Spence connection for a few reasons, but given what the Dolphins are looking to do here, uh, not exactly a total loss that he ends up going to Tennessee Titans. <clears throat> All that's to say, if you want to go ahead and give me a call, we're taking calls for say about. Well, we'll go about a half hour. So 347-326-9461. You give us a call. Uh, we'll be joined by Max at some point. I think he's in finals right now. And we're on a special night anyway, which kind of screws up everyone's schedule. Uh, we'll go to our first caller, and I believe it's a frequent caller. Uh, caller, you are on the air. Hey, man. What's up? Not much. Uh, so what do you think? Andre Branch, one year, $3 million, fully guaranteed. You got this sort of like pass rush stable going on in Miami now with this rotation thing. What do you think? I like it, but I like it a lot more because of the run defense. Um, I'm with you. You know, I like the ability. I like the fact that the Dolphins are thinking about the other two teams in the AFC East. You know, every year – we try to beat New England. We try to beat New England. Everybody's gearing up to beat New England. And we totally forgot about the Jets and the Bills. And the end result is they beat us twice a year, you know, both teams. And now we have a situation where 
it doesn't look like it's going to be so easy. And it's not like their pass rush is not there either. Mario Williams is a heck of a pass rusher, but he, he's also a good running run defender. And that's what I like. They're not ignoring that aspect of the game. No, I like the guys are putting together here. It seems like the Super Bowls are dictated by those that run the ball. You know, last Super Bowl even, you had two solid quarterbacks and the game was dictated by defense and running the football. So, and speaking of running the football, no, I'm not upset that we lost C.J. Anderson. The way I see it is I'm more upset that it waited until the last minute so it tied other money up. I don't think that was that, that big of a deal. I don't think that – I mean, people are going to we'll, – we'll bring in Max because Max is actually calling us while he's on the road in, in uh, California. Uh, one thing that I want to get all of you involved in here is just the fact that everyone's going to say we, we missed out on Josh Robinson because, because of the holdup on the C.J. Anderson offer sheet. If that's all they missed out on, I'm not going to lose sleep over that. Josh Robin, Robinson is a good – slot corner. He's a good nickel guy. He's not he's not a you know a predator out there on the perimeter. So, you know, I'll deal with it. I understand that this team's thin at cornerback anyway, so maybe Vegas <clears throat> can't be changers at this point. Especially when I think like the only other name out there right now a lot of people are still talking about is uh Patrick Robinson. So And yeah the one, and the oh other God. the other thing to note in this situation is um I'm not I'm not sure who the the caller is, but one thing I think you need to note is that it's not that any games are dictated by the running backs anymore. Unless you're talking about Adrian Peterson, Todd Gurley, Jamal Charles, Le'Veon Bell, then the game is not dictated by the running backs. The offensive line is the new running back. So essentially, if you have a good offensive line, you can just throw people in there. So I don't think, you know, it really doesn't, and I'm going to say this, and everyone should take it with a grain of salt, because like I said, it's entirely dependent on your offensive line. It doesn't really matter that much who your running back is. So, you know, if the Miami Dolphins head into the draft, pick up a running back in the fourth or fifth round, and, you know, pair them with Damian Williams, Jay Ajayi, I'd still like to see a veteran ball carrier come in. You know, someone like Chris Johnson, maybe a little younger, a little less wear on the tires. <laughs> But um, I'd take it. I mean, Devon Ridley, I'm not sure if he's signed anywhere yet, but he could be an option. There are a lot of players out there who the Dolphins could bring in and be fine. You know, if this team makes a jump in 2016, it's the elephant in the room, but, you know, it's not going to be on the running game. It's going to be on Ryan Tannehill's shoulders. We all say it's not about the quarterback, but for the Dolphins next season it is. The Dolphins will go in 2016 – as far as Adam Gase and Ryan Tannehill can take them. It's not about the running back. It's not about C.J. Anderson. It's not about Lamar Miller. And Lamar Miller wasn't homegrown talent for Adam Gase's system. You know, Lamar Miller, who came on slowly in the old system, would have to pick up a whole new system, which is not easy to do. And it would not – that would not be the base of the Dolphins' success. It would not be on the run game. It would be on the shoulders or the shoulder of – Ryan Tannehill being able to 
push that team forward. But, you know, it's impossible to know what's going to happen, especially given the problems on the offensive line, which are much, much, much more pressing than running back. You had a lot of people on Twitter yesterday going nuts over this, talking about how it's same old Dolphins. They missed out on C.J. Anderson. You'd have thought they missed out that they whiffed on Eric Dickerson in, like, 1984 or something. Here's the thing. Now, C.J. Anderson is a really good football player, a really good running back, but he was undrafted in 2013. All right, now he's going to get that bigger contract out in Denver. But the, the point is, is you can find these guys in every draft. And, like, he wasn't even found in the draft. He was found after the draft. He wasn't even found in the 2013 draft, which was a tougher fire to begin Jai, with. And we got a Jai in the fourth round. You know, everyone thought Damian Williams was going to be the number two back last year. He struggled mightily. And Jay Ajayi shows up. So, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. It's become the, the hardest position to project in the NFL because there are so few top-tier guys. You know, it's a little like the conversation we have about quarterbacks. We're like, who is really an A guy and who is a B guy who has – who gets paid like an A guy, but at running back, it's the opposite. Who's an A guy and who can produce like an A guy, even though they aren't, you know, we see a ton of that. They're really, you know, you can count on one hand, how many dominant running backs there are in the NFL right now, you know, with Marshawn Lynch retiring, that number even goes down. So it's, it's a very yeah. tough position to project. And it's it's just not something I'm going to lose sleep over. It would have been nice to have him. I'm not going to lie. That backfield depth, would have been great, but that's something that honestly you can add. You you could bring in Alfred Morris and and get something semi comparable. And I mean, like, and I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with a lot of the load being put on Jaya But if the team feels comfortable going that direction, then I mean, it's something you just go ahead and sign off on and just say okay. Uh, the other thing I want to move to, and we already kind of discussed it a little bit, but. So the Dolphins get real careful with spending in free agency with these defensive ends that they, they've looked, you know, they let Olivier Vernon go sign that King's ransom with the New York Giants. They bring in Mario Williams on a very uh, modest deal. Um, and then they bring in Andre Branch today. And we mentioned the 1 million, three year or 3 million, one year guaranteed, excuse me. Uh, so, now you wonder because they're starting to to add these rotational guys up front, and I the biggest intrigue I have, and I mean this this show always veers off into draft talk anyway. I don't have a problem with that, so I'll just take it right there right now. Do you get greedy in the draft at number thirteen, and do you just go for like the the house pass rusher, or do you go ahead and what I would probably do? which is bringing the best corner available. And now you're starting to see all these guys who this happens every year with the cornerback position. There were supposed to be these guys who were fringe first rounders and you'd see them subtly move up the, the combine. I'm talking specifically Eli Apple and William Jackson third. They keep rising up and rising up. And now it's to the point where you're starting to see these scouts come out and say, yeah, but he, he might be the second best corner in this draft. He might be the third best corner might be worth a mid one. I don't know. Because I put out stuff on on Twitter about this, and I always get this kind of pushback with William Jackson III, who's the corner out of Houston. People are always like, he's not worth a first. He's not worth a mid one. And then I just tell him, like, 
if you say that, then I assume you haven't watched him play. I'm just going to assume that right off, right off the bat. Because as soon as I watched that guy, and it wasn't even highlight reel tape, it was just a couple of games that he had, I was like, yep, that is a guy I want on the perimeter in Miami, no doubt. And it really is the same with Eli Apple. Eli Apple is a bigger, bigger guy, more physical, not nearly as uh, good at ball skills as Jackson the third. But at 13 now, you're starting to look at these guys, and you're like, do you take the corner? Do you take one of the – like, there's this – really intriguing group of pass rushers who should be available at 13. Although one of them, Leonard Floyd is a guy who could supposedly go to Chicago. All of a sudden my, uh, my, all my friends who are bears fans are all about that guy. It changed overnight. They all went from DeForest Buckner to Leonard Floyd at the drop of a hat, but so I'll go ahead and I'll ask you guys this and I'll ask all of you this with considering this team's needs, you see people complaining about the guard position and for, I mean, perhaps rightfully so you'd like to get that lock in there, especially if this is a perfect year for Ryan Tannehill. So do you, what do you do at 13 right now? You're looking at corner, you're looking at the pass rushers, you're looking at, at offensive line. What are you thinking? Well, I can tell you not just us looking at corner. The team is looking at corner, you know, that's the angle right now in in Davy, that could be the best. That could be the best position available. And you know that defense is bad in Miami right now in terms of personnel. So you could really go in 150 different directions attacking it. And be fine, you know, in terms of improving because really anything is improvement. So there's three guys. Well, there's two players in one position that really, really stand out to me at 13th overall. One of the players is Reggie Ragland. Mm-hmm. who is a guy, I think Kiko Alonso is being horribly miscast as a 4-3 inside linebacker. I think it would be a disaster to play him there. But he would be a very good um, outside linebacker on the weak side, a will linebacker in a in a 4-3. In a 3-4, he's a perfect inside linebacker. But it's just such a different, it's such a different um, spot to fill when you're talking about the 4-3. Reggie Ragland is, if you had to draw a 4-3 inside linebacker up on paper, it's Reggie Ragland. So Reggie Ragland is a guy who we could talk about. The other guy, and I don't know where, it's Kevin Dodd. I mean, we all know about the defensive line rotation. That was in my head before they just signed uh, Andre Branch, which is a good signing. You know, we all talk about that ability to rotate where Derek Shelby was always so good. And right. it would be good to have Andre Andre Branch and Terrence Fidei I would feel comfortable with going in as the three and four at defensive ends. But then the other two guys are corners, and it's Mackenzie Alexander and Vernon Hargreaves. You know, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that Mackenzie Alexander is probably the guy with the lower floor, the higher floor. You know, he's a safer mm-hmm. pick. The question is, is he a safer pick in Miami's scheme? And we all talk, we all talk about – how linebackers and how defensive linemen fit into the certain scheme. We don't talk enough about how cornerbacks fit into those schemes. We don't talk enough about whether a corner is a zone guy or a man guy, whether you want him playing press, like what, whether he can play hybrid, nickel, whatever it is. We don't talk about it enough. And I think that's a very important narrative for the Dolphins in the 2016 offseason when you're discussing Mackenzie Alexander versus Bernard Hargreaves because – they're, they're very similar in terms of how you grade out prospects. For very different reasons, they're pretty similar. 
you know, but the question is who's going to fit better for the Dolphins? This isn't just a question of taking the best athlete. It's who's going to be able to, to play best in the Dolphins scheme. And whether or not Vernon Hargreaves is there, you need to put some pretty serious consideration into whether you want Mackenzie Alexander in the zone or if you want to pass him up and go with a guy like William Jackson, who I think, you know, we all agree is a boomer bust guy, but he can play both. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'd agree with that. If you're very interested. Go ahead. And yeah, I, I'm all I'm saying. I'd just be very interested to see, you know, what Vance Joseph, what Vance Joseph thinks after watching tape of his defense last year, and of what he's done in Houston and everywhere. He likes a guy who's a little bit who's built a little bit more like Mackenzie Alexander. I think he likes the the guys who can get a little bit more physical and the guys with attitude. You know, he turned Pac-Man Jones into one of the top ten corners in the league, back end of the top ten, for the last two seasons. Right. And so if he can get his hands on Mackenzie Alexander, I think it could be a, a very good situation for the Dolphins. But, but people really need to look at the situation and say, who is the best fit for the zone coverage that Vance Joseph likes to employ? Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's what caught my attention with William Jackson. I think William Jackson's the best zone corner in this draft. I think that um, I think Eli Apple is uh, Eli Apple kind of reminds me of a in a way kind of like a Vontae Davis if that makes sense you know like a, a bigger guy Vontae Davis was really good at taking on the run I think Vontae Davis had b- better ball skills than uh, than Eli Apple personally I agree. I, they both yeah. they both they both run about the same the big thing that Vontae Davis had going for him out of Illinois is he was really good at turning and finding the football. He could locate it over his shoulder and whatnot. I don't think Eli Apple's awesome at that. I think he's gotten better, but I still think it's a it's a work in progress. You mentioned Kevin Dodd. He's an interesting guy. Uh, that the the other Clemson pass rusher, as a lot of people have uh, come to know him, because you've got Shaq Lawson who garnered all this attention, but Kevin Dodd just ripped Alabama apart in that national championship game. And uh, he just has proven through the pre-draft process that not only is he a really good defensive end, he's a really smart football player too. I mean, and we were uh, <clears throat> Zach, uh, the guy who calls in every so often, we watched Kevin Dodd the other night and there's just a lot of plays on tape that, I mean, he's just, the awareness is there. You can tell he he's paying attention. He's he's aware of his surroundings when he's playing. It's not just a, a seek and destroy mentality like it is for some uh, pass rushers at the college level and really at the pro level too. So he's an interesting one. And, he, you know, if you're bringing in these longer pass rushers, I mean, Dodd fits that too. So it, it's just wide nine. It's, wide nine would be great with Dodd. And you're right. There's a mis- there's a misconception that he's the other Clemson defensive end. You know, Jarvis Landry was the other LSU receiver. 
And so, right. I mean, like, it's not always one or the other. I think they're actually very equivalent players. And we've seen, you know, from Cameron Wake, what the difference is between playing on the right and the left side of a defense. And Shaq Lawson benefited a lot. You know, I'd like to see the numbers when we correct for how many sacks Kevin Dodd helped get for Shaq Lawson. You know, we saw that done with Vernon when people realized that he only had two sacks this year that he created himself. And so it's I, – I really I'm – a, I'm a strong believer in Kevin Dodd. I like him. I think that he's – it's funny because he was another guy who was fringe. He was a guy where they're like, yeah, maybe, you know, he goes early on day two or something, and then he starts to climb up. That huge national championship game, I think, changed a lot of people's uh, uh, perception of Kevin Dodd, and now he's a guy where they look at him. I've seen him go as high as top ten. Uh, they had, they were giving him to us when we were at number eight, which I, I was amused buy that at the time and now sitting at 13 it's a more reasonable selection because you're sitting there and the in terms of picks the flexibility you have it at 13 is is pretty good because you can take Reggie Raglan and I don't think anyone's really going to hold it against you or you know if if you wanted if you went with the wild card and you took an offensive lineman you took like a Jack Conklin or something I don't think anyone's really going to hold that against you except the people who are thinking that if we don't draft four corners this year, that we're, we're an utter failure and we're going to suck for the next decade, which those people are out there, by the way. <clears throat> I know I talked to a couple of them yesterday. So you have that flexibility. You can take a pass rusher. You can take any of the guys we talked about, like Leonard Floyd. I had somebody try to tell me that Leonard Floyd is a reach at number 13. He might go higher than that. Someone has him going to number 11 now. And I mean, like, it's because he's got that long, angular frame. He proved that he can put on weight. Because I think he played at like 230-some at Georgia. He went to the combine at about 244, 245. So at least we know that the ability to gain weight is there. And then, I mean, if you watch his tape, he's explosive. I mean, that guy was really impressive at Georgia. So he's in there. You mentioned Dodd. I think Lawson's less of a fit. Um, I mean, he's a good cannonball in the wide nine, which should be considered. But I think because he's shorter, I think that might hurt his chances with Miami, perhaps. Um. The the other guy, and one that I'm a huge fan of, and for some reason has kind of floated around, is treated as a day two guy. Is he a mid-day one or, you know, draft night, or is he drafted at the end of the first round, is Emmanuel Ogba. And that guy is filthy. To the point where it, if the Dolphins just want to get greedy with this pass rush thing, if you take that guy at 13, then, I mean, heads are going to roll. Because you have him in there, and then you can you have this sort of ro- almost stick rotation where you're able to bring in Andre Branch. You're not using him as a as a um a, a guy where he's he's in on defensive end on every play. And the same goes. I mean, if you're bringing back Cameron Wake, he's not going to be a, a full guy. You're looking at at him as a at least a rotational player early on. And all of this coupled with Mario Williams, so uh, that would be almost gluttonous if you're talking about pass rushers and then you think like well what are you going to do on the back end what's available on day two you know i've i've seen Artie burns uh name tossed around a lot he's a raw guy really good athlete though so there's a lot of guys out there that make sense for the team and at third and 13 you can take almost any of them and only i think a few people are going to have an issue with it the value is, is oddly consistent with a lot of guys outside the, of the top 10, which I don't know that – I can't remember the last time that I saw that that early in the draft. And you know what, what Keith? 
you're watching this defense slowly but surely turn into a 3-4 is what I really Mm -hmm. think we're seeing. I mean, you acquire a guy like Kiko Alonso, you keep Jelani Jenkins. Let's say, just for argument's sake, the team selects Darren Lee, someone who we all know can play strong side linebacker. Right. So then you have Darren Lee, you have – Let's say, just for argument's sake, Koamisi and Kiko Alonso in the middle with Jelani Jenkins as the weak side. Sue as the nose with Cameron Wake or Mario Williams and another defensive end down the road. It's not for this year, but for the 2017 season, you're seeing this team slowly turn themselves into a 3-4 defense, which, which I personally prefer not with Miami's personnel set, obviously, but in general, I think the three four is a is a better system, and um, I'm really interested to see what happens in 2017 more than this year. You know, we've we've watched what happens. You know, we the team missed out on Pac Man, which I think was a big loss because if they had gotten Pac Man, they wouldn't need to go corner in the first round. They would have been able to fill another need, and I think they would have been closer to competing next season. Now it's dicier for 2016. And I think we all accept that, and we all know. I mean, some people expect them to win now, but that's not a realistic ex- expectation for this roster. We just want to see growth. And so it really comes down to taking the best player available. Who can you build around? And who can become the core of your team down the road? I think the when they t- they tipped their hand about the 3-4 was when they said they were looking for the biggest players possible, which if you're running a 4-3 scheme is absolutely pointless outside of your defensive end and tackle positions. I mean, you would like a bigger... Even there, even line, there in a 4-3, you linebacker. want the smaller guys. Inside linebacker is the position where you want to be huge in the in the 4-3. Huge. You want it to be huge. You do. But at the same time, I mean, if you're looking for these, these sort of zero shade slash one technique guys, I mean, you're going to have a bigger guy. You want somebody to command a double team there. And 4-3 pass rusher now is... Those guys are hard to find which is why I think Miami hedges his bets a little bit doing this, this sort of conversion by implementing a lot of wide nine. Because ultimately, you're kicking those guys to outside linebacker anyway. Uh, but, I mean, it's, if, you're, if you're looking to find the biggest players possible, it's just it, there's no point that to run a 4-3 long term. And I used to be a bigger fan of the 4-3 probably within the last, Four or uh, three or four years, I've come around and I'm a bigger fan of the three four now. I just think that its applications, especially if you're working a lot of sub packages, I think it lends itself to more flexibility um, with your personnel. So, if you're um, switching to a three four, then you probably want to draft a guy like Calhoun. I, we actually were just going to get to Shalit Calhoun. A lot of people think that Shalit Calhoun can fall today too, which would be an absolute dream if you're Miami, I think. Because that guy, and not a lot of people are talking about him right now. Maybe someone's trying to keep it hush-hush. But Shalit Calhoun's a good player. I'm glad you brought him up. No problem. So, it, <laughs> you're welcome. So... I, I agree with Max. I think this team is is subtly making its way over to a three four. And I mean, if you, whatever cliche you want to use, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. It's it's ugly right now. Pretty much what you're watching these guys do is it's not like they're stripping the parts off the car. They're just kind of letting them fall off the car. 
you're letting Olivier Vernon go to the Giants <laughs> for a, a gazillion dollars. You're you're That's the greatest thing I've ever you're heard. You're letting. Well, it was just kind of stream of con, you know. Con, but that's exactly what it is. They're just letting these guys go. They're just letting these players walk. Yeah. And the thing is, they're smart to do it because you can't keep adding pieces on if you don't know what defense you're going to be running. So it makes no, there's a to not I agree. Big money guys. Yeah, and I mean, like, there's a there's a definite plan in place. And I mean, like, we can all make jokes about Mike Tambon being a bozo because he looks like one. I'm with you on that one. And he's done some really stupid things. But I will I will defend him in this regard when people bring up, you know, Vernon Golston or they want to break Mark Sanchez because it's so easy to make fun of that guy with those picks, you know, trading up from 17 to five to get Mark Sanchez. And anyone who was watching that 2009 draft, it I mean, that draft turned into a rock concert when they traded up. They traded with Cleveland to get Mark Sanchez. And everyone thought it was this big deal. He had this Broadway quarterback and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we saw what happened with that. The point there is he swung for the fences in drafts that just weren't very good. And, I mean, if you look at the – hell, we'll say the top 20 in 2009, only a handful of those guys are hey, still good. And, you know, the really mind-blowing thing is one of the guys who's still uh, viable as a player is Darius Hayward Bay. Find me the person who called that. But, I mean, like, DJ Raji's <laughs> stepping away. Jason Smith was the number two overall pick. He was a disgrace. Aaron Curry, Tyson Jackson. Uh, when So, he, you know, he tried to get a quarterback. He picked the wrong draft to do it. And, I mean, just as a, a similar point, a lot of people beat up on the Bears for trading two first-round picks for Jay Cutler. But what what quarterback from 2009 or 2010 – is better than Jay Cutler. Your only answer might be Matthew Stafford. It's not Mark Sanchez. You know, it's not Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford came and stay on the field. It's um, definitely not Jimmy Clausen. So, I mean, in, in it's all relative. And when you look at those deals, not awful. Uh, same goes for 2008. If we're getting back to Vernon Golston. Uh, a lot of the deals made in that draft and a lot of the guys selected not an not an amazing draft. Like guys like Cedric Ellis. I'm just going off the top of my head here. Cedric Ellis, I think, went to the Saints. I mean, Gerard Mayo was a good player for New England. He retired. Um, but just not – I mean, Matt Ryan, everyone thought he was the stud of that class. He wasn't. Joe Flacco was a guy who r- rose up that year. Uh, Chris Long was a good player for a long time with the Rams. Uh, D- Darren McFadden was in that draft, by the way. So – he, I think he, he swung for the fences and he missed, but he missed in drafts that were overall not very good anyway. And he just so happens he managed to find crummy players in a crummy draft. So I'm not going to kill him for that. Now, if he does it for the Dolphins, then then all bets are off and I'm pissed. But as of right now, where he stands at 13 it, it's almost like they hedged their bets. Maybe you could have waited for a, a t- you know a top five talent. Maybe they fall out of there. Maybe you get them at eight. But it's clear that these guys wanted to go ahead and build up. Now you got that number two corner in Byron Maxwell. Now you got a guy uh, who can serve in a couple of capacities for you, uh, Kiko Alonso. And Zach just pointed out through a text that um, Kiko Alonso, if you're running a middle linebacker in the wide nine, makes a ton of sense. And I agree with that. So you got all these um, 
these altered packages going through, and you've got personnel that fits that. So one way or another, I don't know if it's going to be a two-gap 3-4 or a one-gap 3-4. I'm praying for the one-gap. That's my favorite version. Two-gap 3-4 makes me a little bit nervous. But Mike Tannenbaum, you know, Bill Parcells' disciple, Bill Parcells' Mr. Two-gap 3-4. So pretty much, uh, pretty much the godfather of it. So, just stuff to keep in mind there. And I, ju- I actually see right now that Andre Branch is trending on Twitter, which is amazing. I almost want to look into that. <clears throat> Not enough to actually look into that, but I'm, I'm uh, I mean, you actually curious. have a decent rotation with Jordan Phillips as nose tackle, Mario Williams, and Sue as the 3-4 defensive ends. And then you have someone like Wake. You know, yeah. you have Wake that can play an outside linebacker, might go ahead and get him healthy, and he can stand up right so there's not enough bounce on that knee. Or you can just and, slide him over in like a hybrid. And I'll say it. I'll say it right now. Uh, I'm not depending on Deion Jordan, but if somehow he comes back oh. and he sees that it's not Philbin and company there and he's able to play – Good luck finding a better wide nine pass rusher than that guy. I am fairly certain that that guy was created for the purpose of the wide nine as a pass rusher. Not a good guy at stopping the run. Doesn't matter. Put him in the wide nine. So that's just something. I mean, that's not something you you bank on. But if it, if it comes to fruition, nice perk. Nice perk to have. But you also have Tico Alonso now too, his best friend. That can help keep them straight, too. You know? Or drag them so, down. Nah. Well, hopefully, I mean, hopefully, it's not, hopefully it's not that. Um, we actually got... Um, we're going to take some calls. we got a little bit of time before we, we have uh, our main guest. So, you guys... I don't know if you're interested in this, but we're going to go to the phones anyway. Caller, you're on the air. Am I on? Am I there, Keith? Yeah. Oh. So okay. I was just actually just... Th- just talking about Kiko Alonso playing middle linebacker in the uh, the wide nine and why that that actually uh, makes sense given Miami's personnel. So, and now you're here. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny because I quick texted you because I was listening to the show, but uh, I think in the wide nine, you know, he'll be able to flow if the the you know the defensive tackles do their job. But like you guys were saying too, um, if they take Raglan at thirteen. You know, with with the extension deal that supposedly was signed by Kiko, um, Jelani Jenkins is up after this year. So, right. you know, move Raglan inside, move Kiko outside, whatever. You know, they have some sort of long-term, short-term uh, switcheroo that they got pulled. And the other cool thing is that with with those guys in there, if you drafted Reggie Raglan at 13 and you're not a fan of him on third down, you, j- you can flip yeah. him with Kiko Alonso at that at that spot. And I mean, putting Kiko Alonso in coverage is a pretty damn good situation to be in. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. So who would you take right now at 13? Cause I know that you, you put out your own mock the other day and we've talked a lot about this, but if you had the 13th pick right now, I mean, within reason, I mean, are you, are you looking for the corner? Or are you looking to put the pass rush over the top? Do you bring in the linebacker? Where are you at? Well, with the mock that I did, I got really stuck between uh, William Jackson, who I ended up taking at 13 because you've discussed it. We love him as a the, the zone corner um, and his right. athleticism as a zone corner. 
Um, but I was really close to taking Conklin too. Uh, he's another guy that you know you you really really love, um, and you've got me even more hooked on him. But you know Conklin's just hard to pass up, uh, you know, because with Albert always getting hurt, or you know, and Albert doesn't always get hurt long term. But you know when they do that line offensive line shuffle, it's a little more it's it's easier to put in Conklin at left tackle at that point. You know, and, and, you know, if he comes in, he probably plays right tackle, Juwan James moves inside, or you you move him in whatever. I don't really care what you do with him, but he's going to be an asset to that offensive line instantly. Um, I I just have a hard time right now taking, especially after signing Branch, I have a hard time taking a, a defensive end, you know, at 13. But if, if there's a guy that you like there, and you think he's going to fit your system, I, I don't care who it is. I'm, I'm one of those people that believes in if that's your guy, take him wherever you are. I really don't care. And they got some uh, some options there, too. I mean, we mentioned that a little bit, but, I mean, you can take your linebacker. You can take one of your corners. Uh, we were talking about Conklin. I think you and I had the discussion where the one scout said that he was tougher than old beef jerky. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> they said like he just he he's just a, a brutal guy, but I mean like really athletic. And you met, I think you were the one who said that he's more athletic than you see Big Ten tackles, with the exception of a guy like Jason Spriggs. Yes. So it's like you have outliers this year. Usually, usually the um the bigger Big Ten tackles, you know, left or right, you know, they're more plotting type guys. You know, you think about like a Jake Long or a, a Joe Thomas. Uh, Taylor Lewan. I mean, you can just go down the list and try and Flozell Adams if you want to go back in time a little bit. That guy was enormous when he came out of Michigan State. And now you yeah, got these guys yeah. coming out. You got your Spriggs. Uh, Riley Reef even was was fairly athletic when he was at Iowa. So um, Brandon Scherf, yeah, is, these, uh, even though he plays guard now. But. These Big Ten guys recently, are, they seem like more like Big 12 guys. You know, those really crazy air raid spread tackles instead of uh, your typical Big Ten maulers. Yeah. I think we also talked about that the other night. I've grown to love Big 12 tackles, and I used to really hate them. But, I mean, and I always want to say that Texas A&M is in the Big 12, even though they're not in the SEC, which always throws me off, by the way. But Texas A&M has kind of become a, um, a tackle factory. With you look at the guys coming out of there over the past few years, you know, and I mean, Jokel not so much. He struggled. He's had some injuries and whatnot. Uh, Jake Matthews really good. Uh, Cedric Agbui really good. Uh, Jermaine Effetti this year. I mean, they just got these really good players coming out. Yeah, I mean, I actually saw a, a comp for Effetti today uh, to Lyle Collins. So, you know, Twitter is going to love that one. <laughs> oh, Lyle oh. Collins. Oh, real boy. quick, uh, yeah, sure. Real quick, I wanna I wanna bring up something, and it it has to do with the draft, but it doesn't. And, uh, but I can see why the Miami Dolphins are gearing towards getting comp picks next season, and that's because the owners approved the ability to trade comp picks in 2017. Right. So. I really think that's what this off season was about was gearing up towards next year because 
that's going to be a heck of an asset if we pull like a third, a fourth, and a seventh. And I mean, that just opens up the draft in so many ways. I thought as I saw of right that. now, but as of right now, the Dolphins sure. have a third rounder, a fifth rounder, and a sixth rounder for Shelby Miller and um, and, and Olivier Vernon. I don't know if Andre Branch is that was Andre Branch cut or was Andre Branch run out of contract? I think that uh, hmm. I think he might have just been out of. I think he just uh, his rookie deal just expired because he was a second okay, round pick in 2012. Then it's possible that he's going to count against that. So maybe Miami will lose the Derek Shelby pick. I don't know yet. Well, the I read. I'm not a huge fan of like the Peter. Peter King, Monday morning quarterback or any of that, but they, he did have a part in there, and it pretty much just echoed something that Dolphins fans were saying last week anyway, but he just kind of summed, up, summed it up in a way that I liked. He said that if you go ahead and you consider what uh, Olivier Vernon is going to make annually in New York, about $17 million, the Dolphins for that $17 million <clears throat> were able to sign or they, they were able to get Maxwell, Mario Williams, and ultimately a third round pick for that's what $17 million gets them. Instead of paying Olivier Vernon that you get those players, you get that comp pick. Not a bad deal. I'd, I'd love to give these guys credit and say like they had that plan all along. I don't know if you could have planned for Vernon to get that monstrous of a deal to the point where I, it took me about an hour to believe that that actually happened. And I was just looking for the fake, the fake tweeter, the fake site that that created that stir. So well, the, the fact is, is that pretty much they got everybody because he's actually making twenty seven million, around twenty four to twenty seven million this year alone. As far as like his contract, the way it's structured. So I mean, they pretty much for what they would have had to pay. Like say, for instance, if they put the tag on him if they were if they had to match it they would have to pay him 24 million this season and they got Matt, Mario Williams uh the cornerback they got um Maxwell Max yeah Maxwell they got Kiko Alonso Branch and even both of the both of the tackles that they signed for pretty much the same amount that Olivier Vernon would have cost them to keep if they had tagged him. Not an awful place to be. And as we mentioned, too, that one way or another, these guys are just kind of letting uh, nature take its course as they as they flip this, this defense. And right now it's ugly. And I don't think anyone will tell you otherwise when you look at the, the personnel, although the rotational thing up front looks a hell of a lot better than where this team was uh, just prior to free agency starting, like when all the Maxwell news started to kick up and whatnot. The linebacker core, obviously, is still a mess. The I know everyone's deeply concerned about that number one corner spot. You have to figure that that – I think Zach's right, too. It's hard to look at pass rushers at 13 now when you, you have a clear path to you can take the best linebacker or the best corner, and I suspect it will be the corner at that spot. Now that I said that, they'll go ahead and they'll take an offensive lineman. <clears throat> and that's the other thing is uh, on offense, that guard position, but it's not as bad as everyone thinks. It's not something that's going to take years and years to rebuild. 
it's not something you can probably do in one draft unless you hit right on all your picks. And I mean, if we're just being realistic here, that's probably not the case, but it's, I mean, this can be a, a pretty quick turn, especially if, if Adam Gase can get more out of, out of Ryan Tannehill. I saw a couple of people say that on Twitter today, and I totally agree with that. That can, that can blur a lot of lines if you get better quarterback play and you just get more improved. Oh, go ahead. Kind of like, it's a lot better than it looks on paper. I think it's a lot similar to like you. You ever saw the movie Ma- Major League? Of course. Where the girl, the lady said, "Bring in all these guys," and they said, "Who are these guys? Who are these guys? Who are these guys?" I think on paper you're going to get a lot of people saying, "What can the What can this team do for us?" But the results are going to be a lot better than what we expected. Just to, that's interesting. Just, I'm taking some Twitter questions right now. I'm not the best multitasker. Uh, I I just I don't really have a problem with the the way that they're structuring this. I mean, I understand. I like the fact that they're being so, somewhat frugal with their spending. Uh, especially after last year when, I mean, like they were just pretty much throwing around like Scrooge McDuck levels of cash everywhere. But I mean, they, you brought in a, a guy, a Indomitian Sioux on a second contract, which is almost unheard of in the national football league, getting a player of that caliber on their second contract. That just doesn't happen. So people like I saw somebody on Twitter uh, killing the dolphins for supposedly wrecking their cap over Indomitian Sioux. In my opinion, you had to do that. Like, if you had serious interest in that guy, make it happen. And if you consider the amount of money that they they stand to have in free cap next year, not a, just not that big of a deal. And I understand you've got that restructure now, which adds $6 million a year to the life of the contract, so on and so forth. So I think uh, we'll be joined in about 10 minutes. I think it's about 10 minutes. Uh, Ron Caniff. On Squish the Fish, will I've been on his show a few times uh, tonight. He's able to uh, go ahead and uh, jump on. Somebody just asked him if he's gonna have if we're gonna have Omar on as a guest. I wish, I wish that would happen. It's not going to. I would annihilate Omar. I'm so sorry if I would. I would ruin your show by annihilating Omar. Ruin it or it wouldn't be ruining. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that would you probably do us a huge favor in terms of overall overall listener <laughs> listenership going on. But I mean, that would just never happen. Somebody one time asked me if I would have Big O on the show, and I was just like, uh, "No, I'm okay with not having that happen." If I want to, if I want to go ahead and jump on WQAM, I'll go ahead and call in and heckle them through their their uh, second party line. But um. It's official. Leonard Floyd just got the Jamar Taylor or Jamar Taylor, the Jason Taylor comparison from Mike Mayock, which I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that unless they're talking about the fact that was Jason Taylor ever above 250 pounds when he played for the Dolphins? No. He might have been one of the uh-huh. lightest defensive ends in the history of the game. I think he played he always- at about, what, 245? Yeah, he started out at like 235, and he 
ended up he never went past like two forty two. That's hilarious. Can you imagine telling an NFL team that you're you're going to start at start a defensive end weighing two hundred and forty two pounds? Like they'd laugh at you. And then he went in there, and I mean, the guy was just an absolute. He was a he was a behemoth. I love the story that well, it, it's funnier now than than it was at the time when Bill Parcells traded Jason Taylor. I guess that the New England Patriots celebrated and had beers together, like Tom, Tom Brady and his offensive line when they got Jason Taylor out of the division, which then if you're the Dolphins, maybe think we shouldn't have done that perhaps. But so Leonard Floyd, who weighs about 244 pounds is going to get the Jason Taylor treatment as a result. So I guess if you're like a beanpole type pass rusher, if you're like an Alden Smith, which I mean, I, I understand that's probably a poor comparison now, but in 2011, he comes out of Missouri, you know, I mean like there's just nothing to the guy. I mean, he's just, He's skin and bones, but I mean, my God, could that guy rush the passer? And he, and he came in and proceeded to do just that. And now you got Leonard Floyd coming in, and all these people are like, ah, he's too undersized. And they watch him play, and they're like, ah, maybe I'll take a chance. Well, Jason Taylor's your your comparison, which is that's pretty good company. <clears throat> yeah, Deion Jordan had the Jason Taylor comparison too. So let's not the uh, let's not be enamored by that. Well, I mean, if you're talking about athleticism, that's one thing. I mean, one area where Alden Smith and Deion Jordan have failed is being a class act like Jason Taylor. You know, Jason Taylor is a guy, like, he, you know, he does work in the community. Like, he's a good guy. Like, he's a good mm-hmm. person to know. Like, I don't know that I've ever heard any. The only negative thing I've ever heard about Jason Taylor was in his talks with Bill Parcells, which, I mean, who are you going to side with there? You know, I'm going with JT on that one. So, I mean, he was just a he's just a good dude. And I remember when they drafted him out of Akron, third round in 1997. And, like, he was just – his tape at Akron is almost hilarious because he's just so tall and so thin. And he's just, like, beating the living crap out of, like, all these collegiate players. It was, like, some sort of, like, bad Madden uh, creation. But the guy just turned it into, like, you know, a Hall of Fame-type career. He's the best pass rusher in the history of the Miami Dolphins. I don't think it's even close, and they've had some really good ones. And if I had to create a Mount Rushmore of the four greatest Dolphins of all time, he's on mine, which is super high praise, and, you know, yeah. considering how many great players have played for this team in its uh, in its history. What were you going to say? You know, I, I kind of feel every time I hear Deion Jordan's name, I keep seeing him being Charlie Brown by the old coaching staff. You remember Lucy used to sit there and say, kick the football, kick the football. (laughs) Charlie Brown would run up and he'd go to kick the ball and then he'd fall back because she'd move it. Told him to gain weight, gain weight. So that added pressure. And I I just feel like he was Charlie Brown the, the entire time by the coaching staff. You know, Gain weight, gain weight, gain weight. It. I hope it's they just, can get it was, back on track. It was a bad situation. I mean, they if anyone's going to mismanage Deion Jordan, it's going to be, it's going to be Joe Philbin and his his band of goons. So, I don't know. I refuse to make that assumption. I have to assume that it's Deion Jordan who has the problem because it's not like. 
Joe Philbin may have said, even if Joe Philbin did say, put on weight, put on weight, he didn't also go say, okay, now go smoke some weed or whatever it was he did. We're talking about the on stuff. We're, 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 not, we're not talking he about what he puts gainers. in his body. There's two, there, is that, there is that misconception about what the banned substance was that he was busted for. Well, whatever it was. So many, that's why I so added that after takes. That's fine. I've gotten a, a couple of Twitter comments. Uh, um, Jason, J-Star, a lot of sevens after his name. Uh, Tyrod Taylor and EJ Manuel are making a combined $6 million this year. The Bills are paying Mario Moore to sack their quarterback. Hmm. That's funny. Uh, I hope so. I'm tired of getting getting beaten down by the Bills, by the way. It kind of takes me back to my childhood, and it's not a good thing in that regard. So. Well, supposedly Tyrod Taylor is this amazing quarterback, so we'll see. Yeah, no, I keep not, I keep waiting for I keep I keep waiting for these QBs to do a two year two years in a row thing. Kirk Cousins, Nick Foles, uh Tyrod Taylor. It's like look can we like can we just stop clinging on the the first sign of actually good play and see if they could continue? That's the one thing I'm looking for. Yeah. I I'm with you. But I, most Dolphins fans, I think, are lying if if they say that they're not just waiting to see what will happen with Deion Jordan. Like, does does Adam Gase just decide like, no, you got to go? Do they give him a chance? Does he get back in shape so he's not like that portly looking thing that we saw on the beach in those horrendous pictures? What's going to happen? I want answers. If you think about it, Deion Jordan is pretty much our Mark Sanchez. So, yeah, which is kind of horrendous. I don't know if I like that thought. Uh, we'll go ahead. It's uh, we're just uh, um, we're almost into the uh, the 9 p.m. Eastern hour, so we'll go ahead and we'll shoot over to our guest. I uh, want everyone to welcome Ron Caniff of Unsquish the Fish. What's going on, Ron? Hey, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Ron, Thank you. Uh, welcome. Yeah, I know. It's like a little welcoming committee here for you. <laughs> so, uh, I noticed today that, um, well, first of all, I want to take it back to uh, you had a great Twitter sparring match with some Jets fan. Recently. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I haven't even got a chance like, to talk about that. Yeah, that, that is true. I did. It was epic level, and I don't use that word much. I hate the word epic, but it was good. Like every, I kept coming back to it, and I was like, "Did anyone say anything?" So, how did that start? Uh, trying to think. I know there's a few Jets fans that follow me because there's some podcasters, and I've popped on. You know, the AFC East Bros. Um, one of them's a Jets fan, sure. and I think it kind of might have started between me and him, but I don't recall him even being involved in it. Be honest with you, I'm not sure what Jets fan picked up on it, but I. I just I'm not an RG3 fan. I think anybody who follows me on Twitter by now over the past week should know that. I just simply do do not believe in that quarterback. I think he was a one-year rookie wonder, Derek Anderson, one-year lucky guy. It's been almost half a decade since he played well. I mean, that's the truth. And I just think it's funny to see Jets fans actually wanting him to be on the team and I truly believe 100% that if he is on the team, uh, on the Jets team, they're going to downgrade big time. So I just keep commenting about that, but I'm not sure what Jets fan picked up on it. How would you like to be a Redskins fan, though? And you, and you see all of these other teams 
who don't have very good quarterback situations, and I'm not talking about the Dolphins, I'm talking about other teams, but a lot of teams just look at your quarterback, the guy you traded up for and gave away just a, a lifetime worth of draft picks for, and other people just look at him now and they're like, yeah, no thanks. We're not really interested. Like, if I was a Redskins fan, that would, that would crush me. Yeah, maybe they've gotten it over by now, over with by now, plus the fact that <clears throat> I'm not sure. I mean, I'd say St. Louis maybe has done some things with the picks. They have some talent, but they haven't really put that talent to good use. So maybe that makes takes the sting out of it a little bit, at least. Yeah, maybe. They need a quarterback, too. But the real irony here is if he goes and plays for them, then I would laugh. Oh, because they get that. the picks and the player. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> It's like they just rented him out for for four years, and then they, they take him back, and it's a reclamation project because everything they said, you, usually when players come in, and we were just talking about Jason Taylor playing at a really like lightweight and how it just was never an issue for him. But, I mean, RG3 comes in the league out of Baylor, and the guy was like maybe 210 pounds soaking wet. And he had all these people saying, like, well, how is he going to hold up to – to punishment at the NFL level. I mean, the guy's going to get hit. And I, I tell this story a lot. Uh, I remember the, it would have been RG threes last year. So, and it was when they were still making college football games, it was NCAA 11. And my brother would always use Baylor. And this was before the, the Robert Griffin hype train started. But if you use Baylor in that game, the quarterback number 10 was really, really good. But he, my brother and I played that game all summer and never once did he get out first quarter without Robert Griffin, like, tearing his knee and being out for the season. So, even even those college football games got it right with that guy. So, I mean, I feel bad for him in that regard because, you know, he had a – early on he had a real promising look to him, but it was – well, now, now here we are. Now the, now the Jets want him. So, go ahead. Go get I, him. I, per- I, I was going to say, I personally think the Jets are just bluffing Fitz, honestly. That's my, I can't believe they would make that decision. I just don't. I mean, for 4,000 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 and 6 last year, how could you even hand that over to RG3 after what you've seen? I I just find it hard to believe a team would make that bad a decision. How are we in a position? Isn't that special? How are we in a position where we're talking about teams trying to to negotiate with Ryan Fitzpatrick and trying to lowball him? I mean, he used to be, he was like the trivia question type guy with your, your Harvard background and whatnot, playing for god-awful teams like, you know, when he was in Buffalo or uh, Houston or, you know, wherever. So it's, is it how bad it's gotten? Now we're to a point where Ryan Fitzpatrick is considered an upper echelon quarterback in the league. And do you think so. Yeah, it's sickening. Kind it's amazing of what Brandon Marshall can do for you. Well, we'll see because we are we're inclined to speak on this when it comes to Brandon Marshall, that year two, not nearly as sweet as year one with that guy. So, yeah, you'll have to excuse me if I'm a little bit hesitant when it comes to just signing off on that guy. I won't be taking him in fantasy football this year, I'll tell you that much. I don't take just players anyway, but I definitely won't take that guy. I mean, if you look at, he came out in Chicago, had a real good first run and everything, and then all of a sudden the locker locker room problems started. And I think the biggest meltdown Brandon Marshall had was against us. I think it was like right after uh, when the Dolphins 
went to Chicago in 2014 and just beat the hell out of him, which, by the way, was an incredible weekend here. I wish I'd gone oh, to that game. Been in his head the whole time. I don't. I'm not surprised. And apparently, like they got into some huge like fight in the locker room afterward, and like Brandon Marshall was like, pretty. I don't know. Uh, like the kicker was like, "Can't we all just get along?" And, like, Robbie Gold, just you know, why can't we? Why can't we be friends and get along? And Brandon Marshall was like, "Why don't you just shut up and kick the football?" Something along those lines. <laughs> so. Um, I'm, I'm pleased to say was that. a genius at that. He could get under Marshall's skin so easily. He also took a real beating from Andre Johnson that one time, too, though. When I think of Cortland Finnegan, I think about when Andre Johnson, like, ripped his helmet off. Yeah, but how did he start? He got in his head to make that happen. It's not like it was an accident. <clears throat> you miss him, don't you? I do miss him, yes. He was somebody that could actually teach the younger corners, and now there's nobody there to do that. Byron Maxwell isn't going to be teaching anybody anything. And Brent Grimes was not a teacher, I'm sorry. So, Ron, yesterday, or yesterday, uh, when the uh, the C.J. Anderson news came through, what did you think? Well, it's kind of strange, and I'll just be totally honest on that. When we didn't sign Miller and then we signed C.J. Anderson, Anderson to the offer sheet, I should say, I was um, not quite understanding. I was like, well, if, you, if you're going to spend money on the position, why didn't you just pay Miller? And if you're not going to pay Miller, okay, I get that. So then just go cheaper with the position. You've got Ajayi, you've got Damian Williams, and you've got plenty of talent in the draft. So I was like, either you're going to spend the money and get Miller or you're going you're gonna to stay cheap and draft a guy and, and get real young, which is fine at the running back position in my opinion. But then as – I started to learn more about C.J. Anderson. I started to get excited. And uh, let's just say, I, I won't say what I tweeted out because it was a little cruder. I'll say something nicer. We just got kind of teased there, didn't we? <laughs> so I got kind of teased to a guy. I was like, yeah, whatever, to like, oh, okay, I'm excited about it. And an hour before we were supposed to get him, we didn't have him. I mean, John Elway teased us to, to say it nicely. Yeah. I mean, the the funny thing is, is he ends up – well, a lot of people – Pete Prisco, for the most part, because I, when I think of that guy, I think about him just unloading on the Dolphins to the point where I thought that guy was a complete sense hater. And he's still – I mean, this year he's been a little nicer. I mean, he was killing us with the Byron Maxwell, Kiko Alonso stuff, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. He's not the only one. Not the only one in that regard. But he brought up the fact he's like, this actually – you know, sometimes the best moves are the ones you don't make. He was like, that's – Miami's lucky Denver uh, matched on that deal. And he's like, and John Elway's just having an awful, awful free agency thus far. Which is funny because if you talk to Dolphins fans, they all have the sense like they that they just got absolutely, you know, pounded by the mastermind there. But, I mean, the, the reality of the situation is that John Elway just, he tried to hardline Brock Osweiler, and that blew up in his face horrifically. And you can, I mean, I don't care. Denver fans can come out and say, we don't need him, but you need a quarterback. I mean, I think they're the normal guy right now is Trevor Simeon or whatever. Okay, sure. But you can spin this any way you want. But the point is, at some point, you're just going to have to turn around and say, we we might have won the, the battle there, but I think we've lost the war. And, I mean, now with C.J. Anderson, how, how long do they have him for? Is it four years? I think it was a four-year offer sheet, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's four Oy. years, and I think the I think the money is eighteen million overall. Oi. and that's a guy that they did. They, had they just tendered him high, you know, they would have uh, 
they would have walked away with a draft pick for the trouble. So, oh well. Just I don't think anybody would have signed him for a draft pick. No, but I mean, they tendered Brandon Marshall high, didn't they? And that guy had like a second round tender on him, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I mean, you can see where their priorities were there, and I don't blame them for that. I mean, if you're if you were my if Miami had the same thing going on, I would totally sign off on that. You're of the two positions, linebacker and running back. I know which guy I'm going to keep, unless one guy you know, you happen to have like a superstar running back, which is typically not the case anyway. Um, one thing I want to and Ron, I don't know that we've ever had this kind of discussion before. Usually we we've kept it uh, on football, but this is something where I read this today and I, I just, I laugh but at the same time. It just brought back a lot of bad memories. So Mike Wallace gets the boot. He's out of Minnesota after the supposed marriage of the deep ball that was supposed to happen up there with Teddy Bridgewater. It didn't happen. It was an absolute, it was a tire fire. I think Wallace had two scores this year. Yeah. 400 uh, and something yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. Just making it rain all over the, uh, the NFC North. So he signs with Baltimore and he tells the media he needed a real quarterback. And then they ask him today, what are you talking about? Why would you throw Teddy Bridgewater under the bus like that? He claims he's not talking about Teddy Bridgewater. So if we're coming back to Mike Wallace embarrassing himself, it's kind of like when he first came to Miami and was making uh, what, when, what was it? Uh, he got on Twitter and he was talking about gay marriage or something. And every Dolphins fan was like, Oh, stop. Take his Twitter away now. So it's, it's turned into something with this guy where every time he goes to a new team, he's got to sit there and pretty much humiliate the entire fan base right off the bat. But the, the one question I want to ask is, hang on. I've, I've actually uh, got a, a, phone call coming in from work right now, which is not a good mute. Great. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I'll just tell him later, like not my problem. So with uh, Mike Wallace and everything, I mean, are we finally past the point where we can just say that just not a good locker room guy, not the right player who was supposed to be around Ryan Tannehill. Can, Can Ryan Tannehill finally be absolved? of everything that has happened while that guy was, was down in South Florida. I, I mean, I think so, but um, I mean, was I excited when we got Mike Wallace, I guess, because of the deep speed. But if you really kind of go back and, and, and look back at his stats in the last even few years as a Steeler, once they kind of took that offense and reined it in and it was no longer, they were kind of playing street ball when Mike Wallace was, catching all these touchdowns and had a 17, 18 average catch. But those last couple of years, they reined it in and and it required Mike Wallace to be a route runner and no longer just play street ball. Hey, get, go get open kind of thing. I mean, not that they, they did that purposely, but it's just kind of the way a lot of his scoring came. It came on broken down plays. Once everything got uh, brought more, um, I don't know, legitimate, I should say, or, or more regular, it, he started to slip off and he, he became regular. I think he caught, eight touchdowns and eight touchdowns the last two years in Pittsburgh, nothing special. Uh, so uh, I, I kind of felt like that alone. And then of course now with his performance in Minnesota and then him shooting his mouth off again, 
definitely. <laughs> but the performance in Minnesota, as you saw that season start to um, wind or unwind, it, you knew that I felt like uh, Tannehill was vindicated and uh, Omar can be quiet. Funny thing is when he went there, he had a bunch of people talking, or Minnesota that is, he had all these people talking about how good Teddy Bridger's Tib Teddy Bridgewater's deep ball is and watching that guy at Louisville and then watching him go to Minnesota I've never felt like that guy had a really good deep ball it looks like a helium balloon when he throws it and it can be effective I mean like he can complete uh, throws far downfield that's not an issue but if you're talking to if you're comparing him to like a Ben Roethlisberger if you or any guy I think Ryan Tannehill throws a better deep ball than Teddy Bridgewater at this point which I think some people would consider ridiculous. But if you watched Ryan Tannehill's highlights in 2015, the, the deep, the longer stuff downfield, say between 20 and 45 yards, the kind of stuff that used to be just a real issue for him. It looks good. I think bringing in Devonte Parker helped there. And honestly, you can put the ball anywhere and that guy will probably make it look good. So it helps to have guys like that in tow. So I'm just going through all my, my tweets right now. Um, Ohio State Say corner what Eli Apple. About. What's that? Uh, I mean, I'll say what you want about Greg Jennings. But, I mean, look at the way he talked about his quarterback and to the, to the media and look at the difference, the stark contrast between him and Mike Wallace. And you see who would probably been the better signing that year. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Did, Ron, did you see the um, the Andre Branch signing? Yes, I did. What did you think? What did you think of that? I mean, it's, it's some it's some depth, but somebody said, "Oh, I think we definitely don't need to to draft de- defensive end now," and I had to disagree with that. I mean, we got a guy who's kind of unproven and hasn't really performed. I think he was a second rounder four years ago, and has yeah, been amazing. So he's some depth. And then we got two older guys, one coming off injury, one with something to prove. I mean, we could still – I still have no problem with us going in the first round and drafting, say, Shaq Lawson or something. I always, Of course, that's always the name that pops up there at 13, if he's <laughs> even there. But then again, yeah. I don't mind if they draft cornerback. But I still feel cornerback or defensive end, it's going to be one of those in the first round. But either anyway, even in the second, third round, defensive end probably needs to be addressed. I don't think this Andre Branch signing changed that. Uh, in kind of staying in step with the the news yesterday about C.J. Anderson, the typical panic move we saw on Dolphins Twitter is every guy was like, well, is Ezekiel Elliott going to be available at number 13 now? Can we still take him? <laughs> Which seems like a, like a gross uh, overreaction to something like that. Just because you lost out on C.J. Anderson doesn't mean you need to use a, a high first-round pick on a running back. Now, that said, Ezekiel Elliott is a really good running back, and it's worth that pick if you want to use it on him. Yeah, I, mean, I don't have a problem with it, but I don't know yeah. that they'll go in that, in that direction just based off all the needs on defense. I don't think it's Tannenbaum's style, personally, but I mean, I could, I could be wrong on that, but I had a good I had a good chuckle yesterday because I originally said that if they, if they passed on CJ Anderson, that I was going to step down from Twitter for a few hours and just let everything burn and then eventually come back to it. But I, I couldn't help myself about five minutes after the Anderson news came through. I was like, I have to see what's going on. And and I got (laughs) on there and it was just like, it was just like people yelling at each other. I saw so many F bombs and just, uh, just other words that are unmentionable on this 
uh, on this uh, show. So, I mean, I expected the the typical overreaction, and we definitely got it. I just, I mean, if you like Ezekiel Elliott, that's fine. And, the, I mean, the media buys into this whole thing, too, because if you'll notice, most mock drafts everywhere have us taking Ezekiel Elliott, which is, you know, fine, whatever. But if you're talking about the the absolute hole that we have on defense at every level somewhere, whether it's a long-term pass rusher, a linebacker, or, a, you know, a corner, um, I just think that's probably uh, better spent elsewhere. But I, I don't know. This Ezekiel Elliott thing is quickly turning into Mark Ingram in 2011, which I don't like. But they've got, honestly, everyone coming through. And I think my my go ahead. Uh, I like a running back next year. Well, yeah, like next year's class is loaded. If you look at next year's next year's running back class is is pretty much close to the holy grail. Whereas if you look at like a through a projection sheet and usually running backs, you might see one with like a one to two range or something. I think there's something like five ne- next year who have like a one to two range. I mean, it, it's Fournette by himself makes it an epic draft class. Like, yeah, we need to we need to start some coke rumors or something to get him to drop a little bit because that's the guy that's along <laughs> the Miami. <laughs> the Marino Coke rumor? Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. I don't know how much yeah. of a rumor that was, but yeah, maybe. I would love to know if that guy was just like snorting Peru at while he was at Pitt. That's always fascinated me. Whenever, like, I, I remember, uh, well, probably like the naive person in me when that story, when I first heard that story, and I thought, like, Dan Marino, no way. Like, why would he ever do that? And then, like, as you started to, I mean, it's the early 80s, you're playing in college and whatnot. I mean, you're the absolute stud at Pitt University, which is a considerable student body, you know, and you're the guy on campus. So, I mean, who knows? But I love that. And it really, and that's the only way Miami gets him in that draft, so. That and the, that and the lack of cartilage in his knees. There's that, too. Maybe that maybe he and Jay Ajaye are are uh, brothers in arms in that regard because that's the Jaye's problem too, right? It's bone on bone. I'd actually like to ask a question. I was about to ask, so that's a good uh, segue there. Um, <clears throat> what do we feel about Ajaye being our starter? I mean, it could happen. I mean, right now that's what we're looking at. Again, the roster is not close to formed yet. Right now, we're looking at uh, uh, Jai being our starting running back. How does everybody feel about that? I'm calmer about it than most. I like him. Well, I think that there's a misconception out there that he's your sledgehammer type running back, and that's not really his style. Oh, I got a load of crap for saying that he wasn't. <laughs> From who? Everybody. I think I got like eight different people telling me that I was dead wrong and look at his college tape and whatever. Well, I, I mean, like he's a, I mean, he's a quick back. I mean, like he's, I would say he, I think he's shiftier than, uh, than Lamar. I thought Lamar was your classic, like one cut zone runner. I think that uh, Ajaye brings a little bit more movement to the table, but um or I should say lateral movement in terms of straight burst. I don't think anyone's going to beat Lamar. But uh, 
I, I like the idea. If you can get a bigger back compliment, you know, like I mentioned, I mean, there's guys in this draft you can get, uh, if you really want to go to town with it, you can get Jordan Howard out of Indiana, who's just an enormous back. But I mean, like a really good player too. Uh, What's wrong with Derrick Henry? I mean, what about Derrick Henry? 245 pounds? He's a bruiser, man. Oh, that would be cool. Uh, Just move Mitchell over to running back for a year. Because he moonlights. Are you talking about Earl Mitchell? Yes, he's talking about Earl Mitchell. Uh, Lewis, did I really just hear you say that Derrick Henry – I'm not saying you said these words, but you're inferring that Derrick Henry's good and that he's a Heisman Trophy winner because of his O-line? (laughs) <laughs> I heard you say O-line, but I'm not letting that one slide because I have to disagree I, on that. I said O-line because I always have – I'm always worried about Alabama players because of – especially on offense because this quarterback had that amazing O-line and this running back had this amazing O-line. What was the, Who was the last guy? I think it was Trent Richardson. Boy, that turned out to be a great move. Oh, Yeldon's been pretty good. Uh, Mark Ingram, that's – Yeldon been, is gone. <laughs> you know, Richardson's garbage. They didn't, he wasn't good enough to stay on. Yeah, but but uh, Mark Ingram, eh, that's been a mixed bag. And Yeldon, I mean, that's one year. Eh, but... Yeldon, eh, uh, uh, Mark Ingram, eh, and uh, Trent Richardson, bleh. Okay, uh, next. When these guys come out of Bama, they're, they are coached up. I mean, so sometimes you won't see that big gap from college to pro like you see from the other colleges because they are really coached up. And he's getting a lot out of these players, a lot more so than a lot of other coaches are getting out of their college players. And that's some of the reasons why you see some of these Bama players come in and not do well. But you can't say that about all of them. I mean, there's been a lot of good Bama players under yeah, stage. C.J. Mosley is one in. of them, but it's like C.J. Mosley is Julio one of them on a linebacker. Julio Jones good, and Cooper. I mean, the list continues to grow, man. So, it's, I mean, it's like any – it's 50-50, I guess, like any other – Okay, but the uh, wide receiver player. position. Okay, wide receiver position doesn't necessarily have any direct correlation to that offensive line. No, for sure. But I'm just speaking in general when it comes to Bama players and the fact that they're coached so well that sometimes you just don't see that big jump. But That's fine. Uh, I'd say there's been some good ones come out of there on both sides of the ball. So I would I, I would not pass Derrick Henry and just say, oh, it's O line and, and move on. I won't. De- I won't deny there are good players that came out of Bama, but you're talking about a running back here. And, and Derrick Henry just, was also the number one off. running. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lewis. I was saying you just rattled off the list, and I don't know if you were about to say Derrick Henry's the number one on the list for the for the draft this year. But so was Trent Richardson. And again, it's like. No, ah. I was going to say that Derrick Henry. Uh, I mean, not only was he a five star recruit, of course, Bama's full of him, but he was the number one number one rushing high school player of all time when he came when he was recruited by Bama. I mean, this guy has been a stud since he was 14 years old. Not just because of Bama that he's good, but that's you'll, just my opinion, of course. So you'll forgive me if I'm skeptical. I understand. I get. I get. You see Trent Richardson, and you think, "Oh my God!" And the Colts and Yeldon and Ingram, and I get it. I think, when I think Alabama. I think injury history. Like he works them so hard that everyone seems to have lingering issues with injury for at least the first couple of years when they transition over to the NFL. But I'm a fan. I don't think that Derrick Henry benefited from that. I don't think that offensive line is as good as, as it has been in uh, previ- for the previous running backs we mentioned. Like if you're talking about Trent Richardson and some of the guys he was able to, who played in front of him, 
uh, at the collegiate level too. I'm not talking about they were awesome pros, but like your Chance Warmack, uh, Cyrus Quanjo was good there for a time, uh, Ari Quanjo, uh, guys like that. So, and then um, that one uh, that one Nugget of a center who was a to- everyone just pretty much said he was a douche, but I can't remember his name. Is it Travis Frederick? No, no, that's Wisconsin. Um, no. Oh, what was that guy's name? It'll come back to me. But I just remember because he was a um, Barrett Jones. There we go. Good player. Good play. All he could play center, guard, tackle. I mean, he's a talented guy. But I just remember like the book on him. Every scout was like, "Ugh, smartest man in the room. Not interested." So I thought that was kind of interesting. So. <clears throat> Um, I'm having uh, some serious microphone issues right now. It keeps cutting in and out, so I, I can't tell if people are talking. So I'm just guessing. No, nobody's talking. Yet. Nobody's talking yet, Keith. So we're just kind of thinking about it. Like, what am I going to say next? Oh, that's a help. <laughs> so, Do you want to talk uh, about what happened last night? With on my show, uh, I wasn't there. Ryan I had no Kelly? idea. What happened, so. No, 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 no. No, not the current center. No, I already figured out that it it was Barrett Jones. So, um, I didn't get to hear your show last night, but uh, I know that you because you brought over that guy from the Bears or whatever, and you guy, what did you give him the the educational forum on on who to not and who or who to and who to not follow in terms of South Florida sports? Essentially. Well, that's an important course, I think, for anyone who comes over. Yeah, Tom is a friend of Ron's. He, he and I, he and uh, Ron both joined the website recently, and uh, we ha- Tom doesn't realize yet that uh, Omar has to be a proceed with caution follow. So we explained him. We explained it, and I think we gave like six different stories as to why. So it was definitely a fun show. Yeah, so, some of us more passionately than others, right, Lewis? Yeah, Lewis had to calm me down a couple times. Check, put me in check. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. So, what did he say then? Well, uh, you mean Tom? Yes. Well, essentially, he's saying that he 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 originally thought that Tom Tom originally thought that um, Omar was who he said he was, somebody that he's going to say what you don't want to hear. He's a truth teller and whatever, because you see a lot of people upset and blah blah blah, blah and like oh, so he must say a lot of stuff that they don't want to have to hear. Uh, well, that's true, but at the same time, we all, he, he doesn't realize exactly why that is. It's not like Omar is just a super smart guy and he's more honest than everybody else. We gave him the whole shebang, like with the Tannehill rumor he started spreading with Nico or whatever, and uh, and Ron gave me this bombshell that I wasn't even aware of, that he was at the party with the Pompey brothers during the Aaron Hernandez hat uh, fiasco, so I didn't even know that. And uh, there was and a whole bunch of other different stories. I mean, it was definitely a fun night. I mean, I don't expect to. Uh, I hope. I hope nobody from the Sentinel actually hears that show because it was a. Uh, it was like a half hour of just trashing the entire newspaper. What are you afraid of? Like Chris Perkins telling on you? No, it's not. But I. I. I, I see these guys. <laughs> and that's true. I don't have to worry about that. I guess, Lewis. None of them are coming on my show. I promise you that. <laughs> it's probably better that way. Uh, we got about, well, we'll say about five minutes left since uh, it's been uh, about a wave of technical difficulties for me the past 15, 20 minutes. So 
I'm ready to take it out back and shoot it for for tonight. So we'll go ahead and finish with we're about we're officially a week into free agency now. So I'll ask all of you this, and then we'll call it a night. What kind of grade would you give Miami's free agency thus far? I'd give it a solid B-minus. Oh. Okay. Lewis, how do you feel about free agency? Uh, I guess I'll give it a B because – on the one hand, we're getting players that we think we can work with, but at the same time, they're not getting. It's a mixed. It's a mixed reaction for me because on the one hand, they're doing everything. They're doing everything like the opposite of what they would normally do. Normally, they just throw all the money they could at these guys and bring them all in. We're gonna try and do this the free agent way, and that's not happening. So, I give them a B because they're actually. I actually give them a B for not signing people, and the whole rebuilding process has to begin. I mean, you can't – well, I think it was Jeff that said this a couple of days ago. You have to drain the infection before the healing process can begin. So continuing to feed it through free agency would have just caused more problems. So getting who they've gotten, which is only a few players, and then not signing all the other people, and whether they missed out on them or they just didn't want to pay up, I actually credit them for not, like, pushing more and more money out there and panicking when they realize, oh, God, we're going to lose them. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with them losing people. Like I said, I don't think 2016 is going to be the year for them anyway. So they're rebuilding even if they won't say they're rebuilding. And even if they don't even if they don't use the word for themselves because maybe they're trying to convince Ross or something, I'm perfectly fine with what they're doing so far. That's a pretty graphic analogy. Yeah, drain Mine is the... Light. Minus last year, though, they're pretty much doing the same thing they were doing every year except giving out smaller contracts because look at the names. Danelle Ellaby, Philip Wheeler. You know, these weren't exactly big names, but they were handing they out get, big though? contracts. They got Philip Wheeler, Danelle Ellaby, Mike Wallace, things like okay, that. But, okay, but that was a few years ago. What You said they're doing the exact same thing again. Who was it? Who were you looking at? Mario Williams, Issa no. Abdul Kudis. Yeah. Wait a minute. Issa Abdul Kudis. He didn't even get that much. That's what I'm trying to say. They're getting the same caliber of players. Danell Ellerby was just as unknown as Issa Abdul Kudis when we got him from the Ravens. You know, but they're not handing out the contracts like they oh, did. Oh, okay. I heard then. you wrong. I thought I heard you wrong. I thought you said they're doing just the exact same thing all over again, just not as much, not not as many players. I I'm sorry. Luther was about to come at you caliber. with <laughs> Yeah, they're getting the same caliber of players, the unknowns, but they're paying them a lot less than they would have any other year. You know. Minus the get, Sioux signing last year because he was the genuine article, so we had to pay him a king's ransom to get him here. But other than that, really name one superstar that was a known product that we signed, even though we signed them to big contracts, that really wasn't a risk-reward type signing. All good points. All good. Uh <laughs> I think uh, 
Uh, given everything that's uh, transpired, I'm ready to go ahead and just call it. Um, Ron, we're going to have to have you on again soon, preferably when when everything's working so I can actually hear the whole show. So, but <laughs> That's no problem, man. It's all good. I, I understand. Trust me, because uh, I run into technical difficulties myself. seems like every time Lewis comes on my show, there's all kinds of issues going on. Oh, so mad. <laughs> I want to do the He's saying you're the cooler. Uh Honestly, uh, I was about to go into that whole Bill O'Reilly thing where I was just going to start screaming. I was like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> so I appreciate it, though. Uh, I appreciate everyone coming on the show. It was nice. Max was able to stop by for a little bit. He's got his finals going on. <clears throat> uh, Zach was uh, kind of uh sleeper, if you will. Sleeper cell. I, I always am. I like it. It's funny. Uh, thank you to Dolphin Fan for Life and Lewis, as oh. usual, and special guests. Uh, am I saying your last name right, Caniff? Yes, Caniff, that's correct. Because okay. I know that's how your, your show introduces it, and then I thought I heard Lewis pronounce it slightly different. I was like, well, I hope I have this right, because otherwise I, it's going to sound really, really stupid. Unless it's totally butchered, I don't normally correct people. If they see Caniff or Caniff, it's, I don't <laughs> say anything. <laughs> Good deal. All right, well, hopefully we can uh, have you again uh, on soon and we can do it in uh, a week that's more lively than uh, just um, reigniting anything having to do with CJ Anderson and whatnot. So that sounds good. I, yeah. I can't wait to be on again. Definitely. I'll do it soon. All right. Great. So for everyone here, I'm going to go ahead and uh, call it, a, call it a night. Thank you to everyone who gave us a call. We'll be around next week on our usual night and time, which is Thursday, uh, 8 PM Eastern. Uh, have a great night and we'll talk to you soon. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. 
When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.